it's okay to say you don't know. It, what, what's, what's not okay is not to try to, to solve and work together and to figure it out and see what we can do and embrace that joy of, of opportunity that's in front of us. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So today on Learning Unboxed, we are going to talk about parents as co-educators. And I am super excited, as always. Our listeners know I get really jazzed about the conversations that we get to have out in the world and in the community. And today is a special treat um, because we get to talk with Sabrina Walters, who is a veteran teacher. Uh, She's been teaching in the Upper Arlington School District for almost 30 years. And over that time has taught every grade from first grade to sixth grade. So that's pretty awesome and remarkable. And we're super thrilled to have Sabrina joining us today. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here too. Perfect. And joining uh, Sabrina is Lori Trent. And yes, for those of you like, hey, I know that name. Um, Lori has been a guest on the program a few weeks back. Um, Lori uh, was on as a first year school board member at Upper Arlington Schools. And Lori's actually joining Sabrina today um, in that role as the parent, because not only is Lori a school board member, but Lori also has children in the Upper Arlington School District, which is where Sabrina uh, joins us from. And so they're going to talk today about the experience that they've had together over the years with parents as co-educators. So Lori, welcome again to the program. Well, thank you. Thrilled to be here and love to talk with Sabrina. So this will be fun. Perfect. Well, I'm super excited to talk with both of you because this this idea of parents as co-educators and that notion of collaboration and group learning and lifelong learners and classroom communities and classrooms beyond four walls and that really opportunity for authentic and emergent and engaging curriculum and the engagement that actually can happen um, when you think about um, the students interacting with parents, interacting with communities, interacting with school, and really thinking about community beyond the walls of, of their school building or their classroom is pretty darn exciting. So I'm thrilled to be able to have that conversation. And so we're going to just sort of jump right in. And Sabrina, I'm going to really sort of toss to you uh, from that educator role. You know, we think about education and it's complex and it's more complex in the midst of a global pandemic in many ways than it's probably ever been in a really, really long time. And so the education as a topic itself is complex, but it's especially complex when we talk about during the pandemic, how can we engage parents as co-educators? What does that look like in this moment? And how does that compare to the way you've been able to interact and work with parents prior to this? Well, I as we think about, you know, that the way we're teaching now and virtually or or um, online and that engagement, I, I keep asking myself, well, what did what would I usually do be doing? What 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 have I always done? And trying to go back to my roots as a progressive educator and getting to have lots of years with 
children and families and parents. And so I kind of keep going back to start, like, what would this look like in the, in the classroom? And at the same time, it can be similar in the classroom. I sometimes felt isolated, even though I was surrounded by 26 children. It felt Sometimes I was the only one, I was often the only adult and in a way could feel isolating or lonely. And I think part of my stretch was always trying to connect with other adults and bring my own learning as an adult along with the teaching and learning that I was having with the students, the younger, the 10-year-olds or the 8-year-olds. So when you ask, like, how's it looking now? I think it still is coming from a space of how can we do this together? And and that theme we're seeing a lot together, but separate or alone, but together. And and so how just being open to how to always can we be inviting others? Right. Which which is really an important thing. And so I want to I want to sort of dig down on that just a little bit more. And and so setting the pandemic aside because we're all living it. We know it's here. It, it, it's it's a thing that that we're 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 swirling on, especially in education in every community, not just in the U.S. but around the world. Uh, this has become a, a really big issue. But we set it aside just for a minute. I want to dig in on the idea of you know parents as co-educators and and really draw on that 30 years worth of experience and also I assume that a lot of your work um, with parents in this space you know ties into that sort of mindfulness that mindset that you just naturally as your persona and you know one a piece of background um, you know sort of about Sabrina is she uh, she's really big in urban Zen and integrative therapy programs and which is a really remarkable thing but I would imagine that that carries over into the way you think about your 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 work in your classroom and certainly sort of the way you help parents understand how they can be co-educators so let's dig in a little bit about this notion of parents as co-educators help people understand what is it what does that mean to you? I, I, th- I think it's an invitation of collaboration and um, even not up to me to understand how parents can be co-educators with me, but how can I be a co-educator with them? So the teacher is the keeper of the knowledge, the one that's in charge, that has the plan, that is the top of the totem pole. So to say, maybe. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, but yeah. I, I, yeah. No, I think that, 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 that that's great. So, um, Lori, I want to toss it back to you to sort of dig into that a little bit. So talk to me a little bit about, from your perspective, you know, as, as that parent and, and for full transparency to our listeners, your children actually were in Sabrina's class in elementary school. So you, this is not just a theoretical conversation. You are joining this conversation as a parent whose students were in Sabrina's class and you you had the opportunity to be that parent as a co-educator. So tell us a little bit from your perspective, the parent perspective, about the benefits of parents being in the classroom. Sure. So just a brief background. Our boys are twins, but they're diametrically opposed learners. Um, they're juniors in high school, and they had the fortunate opportunity to have Mrs. Walters for three years. So in a one-two, first grade, second grade split for two years, and then third grade um, as a separate third grade classroom, which also lends itself to um, co-parenting because you have different levels of kids, different age groups, right? So it it is like less traditional in some respects. 
So the way I view it is, and anybody who knows anything about me, it's all about the relationship, right? So the relationship to your students, the relationship to the classroom, the relationship to your teachers, um, and how do you build on one another's strengths, not necessarily point out their weaknesses, right? And so Sabrina and I, for whatever reason, just found lots of like-mindedness in our process. And then also some other things that each of us were better at than the other. And so, it, I mean, it was a three-year process <laughs> and we did many things along the way to really help. But one of the things that comes back to me that I think about, and Sabrina, you kind of touched on this, is having a thinking partner, right? So I have also taught <laughs> elementary school. And when you have 26 little ones asking you all for something at the same time, it's very hard to manage. Not impossible, but it's hard to manage. And I don't think people truly understand or appreciate that until they're in that situation. So from my perspective, I felt as though I could really help in that regard. And I'm kind of a helper. So Perfect, perfect. And so, uh, Sabrina, what are your thoughts about what Lori had to say? I, I think when she talks about a thinking partner that's and wanting to help, it also, from the teacher's perspective, is allowing that help mm-hmm. and being vulnerable enough to welcome that that help, those ideas, and trusting and knowing that you're both coming from a place or you're all coming from a place of having the best interests of the children. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think, you know, it's just sort of to to narrow in just just a touch. You know, that's very different than you as a teacher having parents come in for a show and tell or career day or to be some type of topic expert. You're really talking about parents as an integral part of the classroom experience. And, you know, I, the thing that was so um, beautifully put there as part of that was the notion of, you know, not being afraid to let those folks in to your classroom. So, so expand on that just a little bit, Sabrina, because I, I you know, it, it can be a scary thing, right? You know, you, parents can come in with a, their own agenda. And as a teacher, how do you make the decision that, and, and what does that look like? Because you have to create an ecosystem of collaboration and safety and comfort for everybody involved. How do you do that? Oh, I, I, and I don't know how much of it is me too. My, my pedagogy of being a, a, progressive educator where I think about just what can, how can I learn the group learning of sharing ideas and the um, scaffolding of our knowledge by understanding that some people are, you know, more capable in something and, and elevating our, the community and our learning together by exchanging ideas and letting go of thinking I need to know it all and feeling that part of my job is modeling learning and modeling the curiosity and the desire to looking out, going out for resources and welcoming questions and feedback. I mean, Lori and I just had a great project that we can talk about, the Chihuly project, which I think might give better, give a more thorough example. Perfect. Perfect. Lori, so you, you wanted to follow up just for a moment? Yeah. Um, yeah, just a little quick follow-up, and this isn't a criticism, but we tend to train our teachers the way they've always been trained. And so a lot of the pedagogy and a lot of their thought processes are, I am the one in charge, and it's mm-hmm. very hard to relinquish that control. So it's hard to relinquish that control to another parent, 
but I would also throw in there that we have 26 little learners and educators and teachers that we need to tap into. So um, it's not just parents as co-educators, but it's students Mm -hmm. as co-educators or children as co-educators. Absolutely. And I love that. And so let's talk a little bit uh, to Sabrina's point about this Chihuly project. So Sabrina, why don't you set the project up for us? Because I remember this. Um, (laughs) So, you know, for again, transparency for, for our listeners, my son and Lori's two boys met in kindergarten at Whitcliffe Progressive Elementary, which we've also spoken um, about on this program. So you can go back and listen to that one if you're curious about, you know, Sabrina keeps referencing as a progressive ed- educator. We, we've, we've done an episode on that. We've got several more actually coming. It's a, it's a mindset and a mode of teaching that is very near and dear to the sort of work that PASS Foundation does. So, you know, the, the kiddos, we got to watch them grow up in an environment that is by design, uh, collaborative, open, and very community-based. So uh, I do remember actually when the Chihuly Project was, was happening um, in your classroom. So share that with us, Sabrina. Oh, at, at Wycliffe, like lots of schools, we have um, fundraisers and ways to help support that the PTO does, and they do an informal affair. We have an informal affair where classrooms create art projects, and then they're auctioned off for an evening to raise money. And each classroom has a parent or a group of parents that help lead that project. And so our classroom was uh, lucky enough to have the trends as that year, many years lucky parents to work with. But this project, Lori came and with her experience as an art teacher was really motivated to what what could we do? What could we create? And I, we sat down at um, First Watch one morning and we're like, okay, we've got this art project. Like, what could we do? And we, I had just seen something about cups and cups being d- drawn on with Sharpie markers. And then it just took off. So Lori, I don't know if you really want to Yes, yeah, so, so on the, the nuts and bolts. So, what is it that the students actually did? Yeah, and and as the um, you know sort of parent facilitator in that classroom in that project, share with us a little bit. Then you know, based on what the kids were doing, sort of how did you facilitate? How did you be value add in that project and in that classroom, rather than kind of quite frankly a pain in the button in the way? Right, Lori. I think I mean I'm going to just jump for a second, Lori, because I remember we just didn't know. We had no clue what we were going to do. We just had this idea like, oh, we saw cups. The children drew on them with Sharpies. This isn't a great environmental thing, but then they kind of melted them. And (laughs) so I have to put that out there. Um, And then, but we can, we'll circle back to that. But we, um, and then they strung them together. Somehow we didn't know. And it looked like a Chihuly, who Dale Chihuly is an artist that does glasswork. And yeah, I was just going to start there, Sabrina, on, um, you know, with my art background and I had certain favorite artists. So I kind of threw out some and asked the students what they knew about them. And, you know, we're fortunate enough to have several Dale Chihuly Mm -hmm. originals at the conservatory and other places around the city, actually. And so we had this discussion about how could we replicate what he did? Because we knew we weren't going to be able to do it with glass blowing. (laughs) That was a little bit too dangerous (laughs) for first and second graders. So then Sabrina found this um, resource um, on the Internet and we're like, oh, we could do that. 
So we wanted each student to have a piece of themselves in the artwork, right? And so we had all these little cups that they had designed and we melted and then we're like, what are we going to do with these? (laughs) And it was very much an inquiry discovery process with the students. And they're the one that came up with, well, let's put them all together like on a, a tree, right? So we had this big round monstrosity of all these different beautiful colored cups. And then we had a real problem. It was top heavy. Mm -hmm. And so then we got into the science of, you know, how do we stabilize this? What should this look like? Who's really going to want to purchase it and put it in their home? Because at the informal affair, these are auctioned off and then people take them home. And hopefully, you know, they utilize them in some capacity and don't just send them to Goodwill. Um, (laughs) So it, it was just like, and we kind of laughed because it was like the project that wouldn't end. It went on for like two months or something, which was really cool. And Sabrina is an expert in adjusting the content to meet whatever's going on in the classroom that day. So totally impressive in that oh, regard. Yeah. Sabrina, the finished project. So tell us a little bit about that. And then we're going to circle back around on some other pieces of the of conversation that we were having early. But so at the end of the day, how, how big was this monstrosity, as Lori put it? So, I mean, what are we talking about here in terms of you got it balanced, so it's not falling over and you're going to auction it off. So like, yeah. are we talking about, you know, two feet, five feet, 10 no, feet? What I, happened? Five and a half feet, like a big lamp, maybe perhaps a big lamp minus a light bulb. So um, a big sphere on top and a lot of everything started with, okay, now what, how are we going to do this? Oh my good, responding. And uh, for example, we didn't know how to to put the cups together. What were we going to do? And then somehow, and you know, oh wait, we could use, someone thought of the idea, one of the children thought of the idea of um, chicken wire. So then we got chicken wire and then um, it was like, okay, we molded it into a circle and then now it's sitting on the floor in a circle. So then we, we got a lamp. Someone thought, okay, we could put it on a lamp without a ball. So we did that. And then that's when it wouldn't stand straight. The lamp just kept falling. So then we had to figure out what are we going to do? And we did classroom ex- experiments and investigations, for example, with making little models with clay and straws and put it in trying to figure out how we could keep it creating a prototype that would a kind of a design challenge of what could we do with our, some little materials that we created that the children would work with. And then we would go to the actual sculpture and problem solve that way. And it was so fabulous because Lori and Kelly never came in with this is what we should do, or we solved this, or we went home last night and researched a bunch of things. I mean, it was always letting go to let us have the joy of discovery and letting mm-hmm. the children have, and all of us have the joy of discovering it together and not someone taking over and creating the knowledge and then just solving it. Exactly. And that's always key because that's one of the really hard things when you have, sometimes when you have other adults who are non-educators um, in the classroom, you know, and, and I do want to dig into that just a touch because, you know, this is a fabulous project and you know, amazing things happened with it. But out of fairness to the the sort of the, those who might think of themselves the plebeians of the world, right? You know, who might not be like like Lori, who had a background in education, right? Coming into the classroom, and and how can a parent without that 
that native knowledge or experience be as effective co 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 teaching co leading co learning along with what's happening in your classroom Sabrina so how you know Lori on some levels is an example of a parent that comes with with a with a with a lot of knowledge how do you how do you ensure how do you try to help parents without that same background experience or confidence be as effective as a co-educator with you in a classroom how do you work through that well i think i think it's a growth mindset of that we it's okay we don't know and it's it's okay to say you don't know it what what's what's not okay is not to try to to solve and work together and to figure it out and see what we can do and embrace that joy of of opportunity that's in front of us. So I I think for parents that because it is intimidating to walk into a school and to feel like oh I sh- I should know this this is second grade I should know all of this and but to me and I I would say for Lori too and lots of of lots of us learning isn't about the content it isn't about the actual facts of something. I mean, we can Google and learn all that in 10 seconds on our phone it or computer or laptop or iPad, but really the, the process of, of getting in together and trying and seeing what, what unfolds. So I think having a growth mindset is, is being open to having a growth mindset. Yeah. And I, and I love that, um, you know, that uh, learning is not is not the facts. It's everything that that sort of surrounds the getting to the facts. I say it all the time, so it's actually really fun for me, right? Because you know, I uh, I, I, I love uh, I love the idea that you know why why are we collectively um, trying to teach what's what's in here, right? Yeah, for, for for our listeners, I'm holding up my phone to the Zoom, right, so everybody can see it. But the reality of it is, our world has changed so much, right? And and to your point, Sabrina, this is packed full of information right and you know we don't need to teach what this knows we need to teach everything this doesn't know which to your point is a lot of process so i know you you got to follow up on that so well i think when to to circle back to where we are right now in 2020 i know a lot of my families and trying to still engage with parents via zoom and and having the you know conferences together as a family and sitting down and trying to to be a partnership together they're worried about oh are they getting are they learning what they need to know for the next grade and the children that are in school are they learning the same thing about you know early american civilization online now with you that they would be if they were with mr andrews at in room 205 and my thought is we're learning actually really engaged in true learning right now because we're trying to have to figure out and solve real life problems. This is one giant project that we're all um, that is authentic, that is meaningful, that that we're responding to. So we're having this intentional learning that is even beyond what we would be having by logging into or reading a book or doing our regular classroom things, if that makes sense, because there's so will, many problems. Absolutely. But, but I, I, I will say, I want to applaud the optimism, right? The fact that you said, you know what, we're, we're in the midst of this pandemic and, you know, nothing is as usual. And yet this 
this, the moment we're in right now, this is the problem. And, and you know, we're, we're solving it together and we're learning together in this moment. We're learning different stuff, right? We're learning things we wouldn't have, have even have had the opportunity because the circumstances is forcing us to learn a new set of skills and new, new sets of experiences and new tools and new way of thinking. And to your point, new ways of interacting. And yet we're still learning. That that right there, Sabrina alone, that should be celebrated and called out broadly and profusely because it's scary and people are frustrated and we don't know what's going to happen in the world. And I think it's really easy to get mired down in all the things that aren't working and to take a moment and take a deep breath and say, yes, but look what is working. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that because that is awesome. <laughs> Lori, you wanted to add to that. Yeah. I do. So it's kind of circling back a little bit, but not terribly. So I've talked to a lot of parents over the years and like, what do I do to help my child? How can I be of the best resource to them? And there are two things. Well, one thing in particular that I would say, it's like ask questions. So when they come to you and go, mom, what do I do about blah, blah, blah? What do you think? It is the hardest thing for parents to say and to not give them Mm -hmm. the answer. And quite frankly, it's a hard thing for a lot of teachers as well. So, but we have to give kids that space of self-discovery to learn, to formulate their own ideas. Otherwise, um, we're just cutting it short because they just regurgitate information that we can look up on the internet anyway. So what's the point of that? One of the protocols that I love that Wycliffe does, and I know lots of other people across the U.S. do, um, it's I see, Mm -hmm. I think. I mm-hmm. wonder. And so that's the other that. piece of advice, particularly for elementary um, age kids. So what do you see, right? So what do you think about what you see? And then what do you wonder about that you don't mm-hmm. know, right? And it just really, it gets them kind of applying the knowledge that they've gathered in a different way than just A, B, C, or D on a multiple choice It gives them freedom, right? We do talk about this very thing um, at PASS and in the Innovation Lab and the variety of programs and things that we try here. And we frequently, we we may not, because oftentimes the the kids, middle and high school kids in particular, which are here um, throughout the academic year, we don't really get the younger kiddos typically until in the summertime. And, you know, they've moved beyond ice see, you know, I, I, I think and I wonder, but what we have found is that the kids who didn't have that as part of their everyday foundational experience of learning need you to step back a moment and, and teach them how to embrace the freedom of not knowing. And so when we think about the opportunities that we have to be truly, truly life-altering and impactful for students, you know, the A, the recognizing that it's okay not to know and that along the way to try and quite frankly, to fail and fail miserably. Actually, there's so much benefit in failure. Um, but, But the flip side of that is to recognize that we believe in you as the individual, that you have what, what, what's necessary and we will help you build the confidence to own the opportunity to learn through success, through failure, through trying, through iteration, and to get to the point where you lead with what you want to know and not what you believe you could test against. That's, that's a really, really 
powerful thing. And so thank you for that, Lori, because it it is, you can tell the kids who grew up, if you will, in a school environment that led with that philosophy versus the kids who never had the benefit of the freedom of thinking like that. No, because when they haven't, it, it, it's like a looking for an outside validation. Exactly. A, instead of an internal um, flame that you're, you know, what do you call it? Where you get those little squeezers by a fire and get them going. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like where you're making it, creating oxygen and energy around a flame. You're fanning yes, the flame. Fan the flame. Thank you. See group learning. Group <laughs> learning, absolutely. Rather than just trying to go to, what do I need to get a grade here? What do I need? Is this good enough? Instead of the reflection internally, is this solving my questions, my curiosity, my wonders? Mm-hmm. And I think the other piece of it too is helping kids understand how to formulate questions because that's a scary thing, right? If you think about it in a lot of traditional educational settings and experiences, here are the things we're going to learn today, right? And so here are all the facts or here's how you how, here's how you solve for X, you know, whatever it happens to be. And then we're going to test on it. Then we're going to move on to something else. And what we're talking about here is very different approach to how you explore topics and, and what you're going to do with them and what are the drivers and, and what, what's that flip side freedom. Um, you know, on, on the on the other side of that, what do you think about that, Sabrina? I, I think that when Lori says that I see, I think I wonder, and it, it does come from the teacher. Where I just think back into my classroom space. Let's pretend the principal walks in, and you know, you want to be looking like you're engaged and talking with the children and teaching, so to say. And then I learned to realize that standing back and observe, observing, seeing. That's that's where my learning comes to then be responsive to what they're doing, where they're at, the questions that I can help model. So I think it's okay to pause and step back and look and just try to see so that you can think a wonder and 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 then move on. So I, I guess my ramble here is just this idea that stopping to take a break to to just notice. Yeah, absolutely. But but the other the flip side of that and I think this gets us sort of the close of our conversation is that that pause that you as the teacher make. What's powerful there is that it's a pause that you know, presumably if you've got parents as co-educators in your classroom with you sort of bring this full circle. They get the the opportunity to watch you the trained educator, be comfortable stepping back and letting the students learn and explore and ask, right? And so, you know, I think that's that's the true value back into what can happen on the flip side because, you know, even, even as these, these parents, Lori, as you come into a classroom and have that experience, at the end of the day, you have to go, you, you, you go home. There's, there's learning that continues. There's homework. There's projects that are, that are happening. And the hope would be that, you know, that you took something, something very powerful from your experience in Sabrina's classroom back into the way you help facilitate learning at home. Yes. Absolutely. So I have a couple comments to that. One is I love when you walk into a classroom and you cannot find the teacher. 
That's the best, isn't it? It is the best. Because the kids are all doing their thing and you're kind of like, where? and Sabrina's and kind of a tiny one. on the floor, right? <laughs> Crawling around, doing something. Exactly. So a lot of times you can't find Sabrina anyway, but just that whole concept, right? And so a challenge that I would throw out to teachers, but also to parents is allow your kids to see you fail. Mm-hmm. We need to model that behavior for them so they're not so terrified of it, right? And so I would say, not that you really failed, Sabrina, but I would see <laughs> you say, oops, well, that didn't work so well. So what do we do now? And pulling in the, the students to help solve that. Um, I think you can do that at home as a parent mm-hmm. as well. I have on more than one occasion said, you know, guys, I just want to talk to you. I really was not appropriate yesterday. I'm sorry. Um, or whatever the case might be, but just to say it's okay, and you go back and try again because we're all, you know, living, breathing creatures that are on a journey that takes a long time to get to where we're going to. So it's all okay. But that whole modeling of behavior, I think, is absolutely critical. Yeah, abs- absolutely. So, Sabrina, I always like to close the program, um, you know, with the recognition that, you know, I'm a teacher out there someplace in the world and I just listened to this and I'm inspired and I want to, I want to be like Sabrina. Um, what's, what's the piece of advice? But, but I'm in a, in a place where either my parents aren't engaged or my school discourages a lot of parental interactions beyond just, you know, show and tell. But I really want to run down this road because I'm inspired by what I just heard um, you know, through this interview today. So it, what, what would be a piece of advice that you would have for folks who want to go down a journey where they change their classroom up and they change the relationship that they have with, with their parents, with their students, with that environment? It's a, big, it's a big lofty question, but folks are looking for the nuggets of, I just want to get started. Right. What, what, what can I do tomorrow? What can, yeah. I, what can I do tomorrow? Or, or this afternoon. I think trust yourself. Know that you're a learner, that the families and students are all coming from the sp- You're all coming from the same space of wanting to, to grow and support and help the children and learn with them. I think talking to the children and inviting them to make connections with their parents and inviting even through the children, you know, see what your family says about this or the pe- the grownups that love and care about you and creating opportunities where they can be invited to share, not an expert, just what are their, what do they think about something or share their story or a book? Or I think knowing that it's okay, you don't have to know everything. Mm-hmm. You're not... You're not being judged on that, and you're creating an invitation. If you can frame it to yourself that this is an invitation that you're extending, maybe you're kind of the hostess in a way. You're the one setting up the Zoom calendar or the invite, and um, trusting and make knowing that there's a there's a lot of chance and a, taking the chance for the opportunities that will come. Yeah, absolutely. And so be inclusive and inviting. And and to to close by saying, and you're not alone. Reach out, you know, find find a buddy in the community who, you know, has a similar mindset and do the experiment together if necessary. 
Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, ladies, uh, both of you very much for taking time out of your day uh, to talk with us about um, you know parents as co-educators. And we're really, really um, excited about the, the journey ahead. And so good luck with you, uh, Sabrina, with the ongoing um, academic year. And again, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. The highlight of a week, month, year, perhaps. Thank you. <laughs> Our pleasure. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.